So May. Yeah. If you invented the telescope, what do you think that you would look at with it first? Hmm. I would probably gaze into the depths of space and search the mysteries of the universe. Well, that's cool. I probably would just look at clouds like an idiot. Hello and welcome to Science Brunch. I'm Katie McKissick, aka Beatrice the Biologist. And I'm May Prince. Now today we're going to be talking about a good friend of mine, Galileo. Oh, you're good friends? Yes. That's, nice. That's because, I mean, I refer to him by his first name. Clearly, we refer, we're really good friends. Otherwise, we would... More on that later. Anyway, but before we get into that, <laughs> I want to hear what you have for me. Oh, yeah. So uh, the little sciencey bit for today is that I am almost 35 years old. That and, that's your sciencey bit. Well, okay, it's related <laughs> for a little more. Wait, um, and I'm falling apart now. <laughs> the passage of time. The passage of time <laughs> is really cool. Today's newsy item. Um, but no, I'm nearly 35, and I just this week found my very first gray hair. Aha! Uh-huh. And I was quite excited. <laughs> Don't they look kind of cool? Yes, and I've been I've been waiting for this, and I. It was it was pretty long, and I I think I probably have had it gray hairs before, but I just never noticed them because I don't do enough with my hair. <laughs> well, also unless they're really toward the front and light hits it a certain way when exactly. you're doing your own hair, it's really hard to tell. Exactly, and I time. kind of have. I mean, I don't dye my hair, but I have like these streaks of like very blondish looking. Oh, hairs. sun bleaching, basically. Yeah, and so I can never tell when the light hits. FYI, it, we both have dark brown hair. In case, yes, in, in case, case you, you can't to tell, us. <laughs> in case you can't tell from all the sounds what our hair looks like. But yeah, so I, I found it at work, and then immediately, like the entire day was derailed because I, <laughs> I had to go onto the internet and find out exactly why hair turns gray. Mm. And uh, so, in case you don't know, I didn't know this until I looked it up. Um, the hair follicle. Uh, has a certain number of pigment cells in it, and these produce a chemical called melanin, which is the same uh, chemical that gives your skin people's skin different pigmentations, like all the different range of skin colors that you get in the world. And um, it kind of gives these these signals, you know, to make your hair grow a certain color. And as you get older, that ability breaks down because your entire body is just <laughs> falling apart. <laughs> falling apart. It's hurtling down the hill at this point. <laughs> and it, you, it loses that ability. And so instead of producing a color, whichever color hair you have, like brown or red or blonde or whatever, it just gives up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your hair is just doesn't have any color, which means it comes out either gray or white. And... Um, so was it grayish or more really just white? It was so fine I could barely tell, ah. but I think it's white. And it, and it did that thing where, um, you know, it's kind of like the follicle is slowly giving up the ghost. And so it'll be like, oh, I can do it. I can do it. Brown, brown, brown. Oh, oh totally. No, and then it I gives up those. and then the hair comes out white a little bit. And then it's like, oh, no, no, I can do it. I can do it. Brown, 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 brown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it gives up again. So you get, you get the, if you like stretch the hair out, you can see the little segments of color, non-color, color, non-color. Yeah, until I found those too. It I completely love those. gives up. And then it's like, <laughs> no, forever. It's just white and gray. So. I found this one. It was so weird. I It was so weird uh, when I found it that I actually emailed someone who studies this process. Hmm. It was someone in, in, uh, in England who studies hair follicles and this whole all the all the actual like cellular mechanics that are happening to make the hair you know turn gray, because 
it wasn't just that it had those little sputters of pigment kind of it was like oh it's gray and then there's just like a little bit of brown and then some mm. more gray because it's just trying you know trying to keep it together i had this one that was um i don't know when the hair fell out is maybe five or six inches long uh-huh and it was seriously half gray so that the far the part farthest from my head was gray like or white i mean it was just like ghostly white <laughs> and then closest to the follicle half of it was solid brown it wasn't that sputtery it was like just huh. brown and i was i was like this is so weird why it's like <laughs> changed its yeah, mind yeah i totally was like no nah, i'm good um <laughs> And it was funny because I, I, you know, posted a picture of it, whatever, which was really hard to do. I had to kind of lay it out so you could really tell that half of it was gray and half of it was white. And everyone just kept saying, oh, you must have just gotten an incomplete, you know, dye job when you dyed your hair last. And like, thanks, I'm not a moron. <laughs> yeah, and I had to say, I've never dyed my hair, so that can't possibly be it, but thanks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they really can kind of go back and forth. I mean, not usually for, you know, so long, but yeah, yeah. it's weird. So you you've found gray hairs before then? Yeah. More than one? Yeah. I don't know why. The first one I got that I noticed was because it was in my bangs. Yeah. It was right there. I was in my mid-20s. I don't mm. know. I, yeah. It happens at different ages for different people. Yeah. And I, I think my my mother, for example, started going gray pretty late, like in her mid-30s. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of like always waiting for it. And I, I'm a little disappointed. I had to pull it out in order to be able to be sure that it wasn't blonde. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited. <laughs> so I had to pull it out. Like, I'm so wise. I'm to grow back. Um, but yeah, now I'm like, I, my, my hairdresser is always bothering me to dye my hair. Really? I don't know why. Oh. I think, you know, that's, that's her job. She like wants to play and like for do sure. all this stuff. I've never given into that impulse and I'm not sure that gray hair is going to be any different. I think I just like, yeah, whatever. Whatever I can't it wants wait to, to have do. gray hair. I know. I I'm think it's so excited. pretty. Yeah. I have plans to dye it like bright pink or something. I mean, I think oh, I think people just really are excited to dye it or want to dye it if you have really really, you know, black hair and you have really white grays right. and then they're just they're right on your your part and so they're just they're really noticeable or something. Yeah. People are like, "Ah, oh, I don't really want to see that." But no, I really like them. And because I do have the same thing, I have kind of some of the sun bleaching. It just looks uh-huh. kind of like that. So it doesn't really stick out as much. So I, I love them. I think they're pretty. Yeah. And at what point, I mean, if you dyed your hair, then at what point would you stop? Never? Well, that's the thing. That's why I've never done it is because it's it's something that you can never get off that train again. Yeah. Unless you're going to shave your head or something. Yeah. Or I guess you could dye it back to your like really close to your original color and then just let it grow out or whatever. But it's just it's a can of worms that I don't want to open. And so I just and I'm have not never done it. I'm not disciplined enough, honestly, to keep dyeing my hair like ugh. I have a hard time even going to get my hair cut. So Exactly. Can I do it myself? <laughs> it's just never a good path to go down. Yeah, I did that once. I don't recommend it. <laughs> Not when I was a little no. kid. Yeah. I did it a couple years ago. Oh, yeah, I was I like, did it when I, was I got kid. this. <laughs> no, I seriously, I was in I was like my late twenties. I'm like, I got this. I didn't got it, you guys. <laughs> I, luckily, I know my my hairdresser well enough that I text a turn of like hair emergency. Like, can you please help me? So she cut my hair like at her apartment. I just went over and like with like twelve hours of notice. She's like, okay, come over, I'll fix it up. Like, Thank you. Do you think hairdressers are like surgeons I where they leave thing. like a couple hours a day for those emergency situations where they have to? I fit hope people they in? do. Unless they're like e- ER equivalent doctor, like, you know, hairdressers. <laughs> oh god 911 yeah. hair emergency so anyway super excited about continuing to fall apart and get old yay, yay. <laughs> and uh i'm excited to learn about galileo because i've only ever heard you know him by his first name actually and i don't know why we call him by his first name well i was thinking about that while i was researching him because yeah it's we don't do that for any more 
contemporary sci- scientists. You I know. mean, here here on the podcast we do. We call everyone by their first name, I think. Right, but, but yeah, but Galileo, I general. mean, you ne- people almost never say his full name. Yeah. But it, I guess it's kind of like how we just call Michelangelo Michelangelo. I don't know what his last name is. I looked it up. It's really long. Jones? Like, oh, no. <laughs> <Jones>. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, just stuff like that. I mean... It's like basically all the people that the Ninja Turtles are named after. We just call them by their first names and it's cool. I don't know why we have this double standard for Italian Renaissance people. Do the Ninja Turtles have last names? No. Oh. Their last name is Turtle. <laughs> it's Turtle Power. Raphael. <laughs> turtle Power. Yeah, I have no idea. Raphael Turtle Power. But yeah, I, I really had to look up what Michelangelo's last name was like. Oh, what? What's your huh. last name? The, I guess the only exception is Da Vinci. We actually call him Da Vinci and not Leonardo. Interesting. But if someone said Leonardo, you'd probably know who they were talking about. Yeah, it's not DiCaprio. <laughs> That's an immediate way to yeah. sort out what or kind like, of conversation you're having. Or, I mean, and again, like Ninja Turtles, I was like, what was Donatello's last name? Versace? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a current person. That's not that person. <laughs> he designed um, clothing on the side. But yeah, so so we just know him as Galileo. His last name is, I might be pronouncing it wrong, but I, I've always, I've heard it was Galilei. But oh, really? Ga- how did you I, say? I it? always Galilei? I always heard it Galilei. Oh my god! Okay, I don't know. There's no way of knowing everyone. So I'm sure someone will tell us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tweet, but tweet the pronunciation. In Galileo's case, it's almost like we just don't even care what his last name is because they're so similar. <laughs> they're like, who cares? So it's Gala- just basically Gala- the same something. Well, because there was this thing I was I was reading about how um, in that time in Italy, it was kind of accustomed to occasionally take someone's first name as your surname, and people would change their surnames, their their last names. Uh-huh. So his family changed their last name to Galile, Galai, whatever, Galili, Galili, Galili. It's like the Irish, Irish way of pronouncing. Sorry. <laughs> um, so they changed it, and then they actually named him after his surname. So it just it, it's mm-hmm. like this cycle. Anyway, so it's fine. Galileo, we're, we're cool. We're cool. Just call him Gal for short. Yeah, Gal. <laughs> Leo. I guess it could go either way. Anyway, he was born in Pisa, Italy, where things are all leaning over. <laughs> At least now. <laughs> in 1564. And that was, I, I wasn't sure exactly which century he was in. I mean, I knew it was 500-ish years ago, but I, w- I wouldn't have, you know, bet money on it or anything. I would have been hard-pressed yeah, to come I'm, up with 1500s. I think I probably would have said 1600s because some of the stuff he did, I have heard the 1600 numbers, but I would have been like, was he born in the 1600s or whatever? I would have guessed like 300. <laughs> he was born in something BC, I think. Yeah. Um, he knew the pharaohs. Yeah. So, so he was born in 1564. Uh, his father was named Vincenzo. Mm. All these wonderful Italian names. His mother was uh, Julia, no, G-I-U-L-I-A, Julia. And uh, he was the first of six or possibly seven children, but I don't know why we, we can't it's narrow that down. It's hard to keep track yeah. after you get a Maybe one of, them, maybe the, one of them passed away or something. Right. You, you never know. It was you know that long ago. So they were, they were among the nobility, but they were not rich. I'm not clear on how that works. I kind of am picturing something from like Sense and Sensibility where you have mm. like a, maybe your last name is noble or, or people kind of know you, but yeah, you're, you're not, you haven't had a lot of money coming in because his dad was a, was a musician. Yeah. So maybe he just, I don't know. I don't know how those things work. Huh. Probably don't get paid very well. Anywho. So when he was in his teens, he went to the University of Pisa uh, where his dad wanted him to study medicine, probably so he could, you know, make some moolah. Wanted him to be a doctor. But Galileo liked pendulums, pendulums a little bit more. He liked medicine. So he was like, I'm just going to study physics. Sorry. <laughs> You're just going to have to deal with it. But 
I think that money was always in the back of his mind because he did set out pretty early to try to invent and patent things, and that was gave him some income that was coming in because hmm. he didn't actually finish college at the University of Pisa because of financial troubles. So Ooh. he had to kind of drop out when he was pretty close to finishing. But it didn't really affect him very much because he published a book called The Little Balance mm-hmm. about a design for a hydrostatic balance. And that kind of made a name for him. And he wound up getting a, you know, a, a, an appointment at a different university because of it. And this, without going too far into it, so a hydrostatic balance was something that they invented way back when where you would basically weigh something and then also you could tell how dense it was by weighing it um you know like on a balance in the air and then also doing it in water so you could basically you're telling the densities and it was something that um was invented by i think archimedes to Hmm. see if something was the the kind of metal that the person selling it to you was claiming it would be so it was a way to see if something was really solid gold quality control yeah seeing how much water it was displacing basically it was just a way to measure weight and density so that you could actually confirm what it was made of Hmm. so he just kind of perfected that design and then he um, got really into physics and this is where it's his controversial sort of thinking about going against the grain of the prevailing wisdom that got him in trouble later on with the church, mm. with where it started. So he wrote a book that's called On Motion, where he was talking about physics, and that was where he first started disagreeing with the prevailing physics wisdom, like things like they thought that uh, heavier objects fell faster than light objects. Right. Things that you, you like those intuitively make sense. Yes, exactly. The things you had to unlearn in school, yeah. you know. So he proved that that's wrong, and it was Aristotle who this. It was the Aristotelians. It was kind of that way of thinking that he was going up against like from day one with this book on motion where he's like no (laughs) things all fall at the same rate sorry guys (laughs) um so so he made a name for himself that way but he was kind of not really popular with other scientists because of it that makes sense you know so because he was kind of like the cheese stands alone he's like ah sorry aristotle was wrong about a lot of stuff you guys and everyone's like i don't know about that guy (laughs) He's kind of weird. <laughs> and he probably, I mean, it sounds like he didn't really make any friends that way at the university. Yeah. And um, so they didn't renew his teaching contract after he Oops. published that book. They were like, you know, I don't know. You're just kind of, you're just kind of cocky saying that Aristotle is wrong. I don't know, buddy. Maybe you should just go somewhere like, else. Get rid of this hippie. Yeah. So, but he, again, did fine. He got another professorship at um, the University of uh, Padau, P-A-D-U-A. Padua? Padua. I don't know. But anyway, so he was teaching geometry, <laughs> mechanics, astronomy. He was doing really fine. And uh, it was good, for, again, financially, it was good for him because his dad passed away around that time. Mm. And then he was kind of on the hook financially for um, his little brother, who was also a musician and, you know, <laughs> kind of couldn't make ends meet. So, again, it was like, ah. Oh got to make sure you're making the monies it's like the perpetual condition of musicians for sure but also it's just so <laughs> funny like the scientists we've talked about like who money was a big issue for and who it was just like darwin who's just like i don't have to worry about anything yeah that's i can take sweet. my time i don't know it's just weird hmm. but then anyway, the next thing he invented again like, trying to get some money coming in was for a water pump that they would use like at the shipyards and it was, he invented this new way of, of moving it around because he basically kind of understood levers better than other people did. So he mm-hmm. found that like the most efficient way to do it where one horse could, you could move all this water and they're like, this is really great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Galileo. <laughs> so he like patented all these things. So he was basically an entrepreneur. Yeah, basically. Huh? Yeah. Cause he was, I don't know. He had to be really practical, I guess. 
then he wrote some, wrote a book about the operations of the geometrical and military compass. Very applied stuff. It's so funny because yeah. we think about him now as the guy who was just looking up at the sky. Yeah. But no, I mean, he was really... Practical. Yeah. The day-to-day stuff, he was like, I got to get this stuff done first. So, but now we're getting to the telescope stuff. So he's okay. in his 40s at this point. He kind of hears about someone making a telescope. Hears about like the rough design. Of, oh, they use mirrors and glass and they are able to magnify things, you know, three or four times. And uh-huh. so you can see ships really far away coming in, you know, from whatever their journeys. He's like, three or four times. That's pathetic. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't know. But he, I don't, he, I, I read that he didn't even see it. He just heard that someone did it. And wow. just was inspired enough and, you know, because he was obviously really good at physics anyway. Yeah. So he built his telescope that can magnify things 20 times. Good job, Galileo. Wow. Gold star. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, again, the people that he showed it to, were they were very interested in its applications for looking at things, you know, on Earth. You know, yeah. things out in the ocean, or on, on the horizon line stuff. But he was, he was like, well, let's just point it at the sky. See what's up there. <laughs> Sounds pretty fun. Well, because sailing was pretty big back then. They were yeah. they were trying to make it around the globe, and oh, for Columbus sure, had just gone to the Americas and all exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. So, and that part of the world, you know, and it's probably yeah. People are probably always freaking out. Like, is this ship going to come back? It's like watching for the bus. It's like, yeah. when is it going to be here? Like, seeing it coming is not making it come any faster. I'm always amazed you that just any wanna... of them made it back. <laughs> I know. Oh man. Because they were just they were navigating one. by sight by looking at the stars and like mm-hmm. triangulating and all that stuff. It's like I'm trying not to die. Yeah, and trying try not to meanwhile, get scurvy. Yeah. Trying not to have the, all be the rats on the pirates. boat. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. It was not a good time. It didn't ever sound like a good time to me. I don't know, man. I, don't, I can't believe I can't believe that they did any of that kind of stuff back then. It's it just still blows my mind. Yeah, that we were capable of that that long ago. Yeah, so yeah. it makes sense that they were all kind of aiming it at stuff that would help keep them alive. Yeah. Meanwhile, <laughs> no argument. Galileo's like, like, what's up there? They're like, this will let us see pirates from even farther away. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm gonna look at the moon. <laughs> so less applied, but whatever. So it's he was awesome. a hippie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. So he started looking up in 1610 was when he published a book called The Starry Messenger, which is such a good title. Good job, Galileo. <laughs> uh, where he said things like, "The moon, guys, it's uh, it's not flat, but guess what? It's round. It's a sphere, and it has a bunch of craters on it." What? Crucify him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the same time he found uh, four of Jupiter's moons. Jupiter, of course, people knew about because you can see it relatively well. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, but he was one who saw some moons around it. Hmm. And this is interesting. I did know that Eo or Io, depending on how you pronounce it, Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto. Mm-hmm. I know that those are the moons that he discovered. Those are the four big ones around around Jupiter. And we call them now the Galilean satellites because he discovered them. Gotcha. But he didn't name them that. Hmm. Did he name them? He did name them. He named them different things. But yeah, someone else very soon after also, you know, saw them in a telescope and named them those, you know, from Greek mythology, you know, uh, Zeus's mortal lovers, quote unquote, slash victims, (laughs) slash ew. Um, But yeah, so someone else named them that and it just stuck better, Uh, which is so weird. I, I wonder what it's I, I, it's funny them. to me just that we call them the Galilean satellites but we didn't actually name them the things he wanted to name them I don't know I read today or re- very recently I read recently that uh Uranus Uranus mm-hmm. however you pronounce that it's Uranus it's Uranus um was originally named George <laughs> <laughs> really after 
I think it was after King George. Oh, how funny. And it was called like the Georgian planet or something. Okay. And then they were like, oh, no, let's change it because people were like, it's it shouldn't plain. be political oh. and, you know, all that stuff. Okay. So okay. instead they named it the worst planet name. Yeah. I don't <laughs> know, guys. I think people it... like mispronounced. <laughs> well, I just love George. I just it's love like naming George a planet too. Bob. It's like Jupiter venus mercury george <laughs> well it's funny because all of them have these very um you know the greek mythology yeah. or whatever or the, the yeah the norse you know mythology things or or uh maki maki like whatever like they're they're all these names that you don't hear very often so the ones that are recognizable like yeah. phoebe is one of I yeah. think, saturn's moons it's like phoebe what's up phoebes <laughs> i know you um i really wish it was still named george it's awesome I, i'm gonna call it george from now on uh, me too because i every single time i say it i have to stop for a second and make sure i'm not gonna say the word anus by accident <laughs> which i i've done uh, uranus 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 I don't know because mm-hmm. yeah, as a kid we all called it Uranus because yep. why wouldn't you? But yeah, so now I always have to make that extra mental effort to say Uranus, Uranus. Yeah, it as still sounds terrible. <laughs> um, but yeah, but what Galileo called them was uh, the uh, the Cosimo's stars, like Cosmica Sidera, in honor of uh, Cosimo Il de Medici, mm-hmm. who yeah, who was still alive at the time. So he was like, hey, why don't you name them something else? I don't know. It sounds like this got really weird. So we changed the name to uh, Medicia Sidera, the, Medici- the Medician stars, honoring all four of the Medici brothers. Uh, I don't know why exactly. And then, um, and then, yeah, then this other guy just named him after these, you know, these Zeus victims, and th- that's stuck. I don't know. That's just weird. Um, how things get named stuff. could be like its own whole thing. We won't, yeah. we won't go there. Anyway, but the other things, you know, so so moon, how it looks, has found, you know, the satellites of Jupiter. Uh, he saw the phases of Venus, mm-hmm. which is uh, really a, bit a sign that things go around the sun and not the opposite. So that was, we're getting into that stuff now. Hmm. Um, and because then, before this, well. Oh, yeah. Cause, well, because right now, everything in the 1600s, kids, <laughs> everything <laughs> went around the earth. Yes. It's a very earth-centric view. So, yeah. So this was the beginning of some trouble there. Um, and then not in that book, the 1610 book, The Starry Messenger, but a couple of years later, he also looked at the sun mm-hmm. and saw sunspots for the first time. And also part of the earth is the center of the universe was um, ideas like the sun is perfect. So seeing sunspots was like, what? You're saying that it's not perfect? Yeah. That's not what we've been told, whatever. So like, even that was like, oh, my God, heresy. So... Well, because it grew out of a culture where the sun was like the first god, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, um, six, so that's 1610, 1612, he writes another book. He's just writing books all the time. This guy's <laughs> too many books. Uh, Discourse on Bodies and Water, which again um, was kind of going against some of Aristotle's ideas about how physics worked. They used to think that why some things floated in water and not others had to do with like their shape, basically, but not their density. Of course, now we mm. know it doesn't really matter what it, what it what shape it's taking it matters right. what it's made of if it floats on water or not right and now now we cue the scene from the holy grail they're like what also floats on water <laughs> or small rocks <laughs> um but anyway so so now let's get into the trouble with the church churches uh, <laughs> they also float on water <laughs> um so when he first got in trouble was when he wrote a letter to a student about how uh, Copernican theory, which was um, this idea that the Earth was not the center, that the Sun was the center. Mm-hmm. That was Copernicus who first said it. 
did not contradict the um, biblical passages. Um, he st- stated that, you know, scripture was written from an earthly perspective and, you know, science provided a different, just more accurate perspective. Just, mm-hmm. And I don't know how he worded it, but it's not like he was like, you know, it's okay. There are these two things and, you know, science is just a little different. It's just giving you this more information. I mean, it sounded like it was kind of a nice note. But anyway, that got handed <laughs> over. And um, the Catholic Church did not really like it very much. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. So uh, this is 1616. So okay. this is six years after all the telescope stuff. Uh, they order him to not hold, teach, or defend in any manner the Copernican theory regarding the motion of the Earth in regards to the sun and other things. And he actually did that for about seven years because he was like, okay, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. And also he's Catholic himself. He probably right. just wanted to be a good Catholic guy and just kind of go with the flow for a little bit. So he kind of laid low for a little while, but then... Um, and this is weird. I didn't know this. In 1623, his friend became the Pope. What? Yeah. I didn't. I missed this whole story. That's like if you became the Pope. I know. <laughs> it was Inconceivable. A, it was a much, you know how they say it's a small world? I think like that was much more true lot There were like then. 10 people. <laughs> hey, guys, guess what? I have an announcement. And I'm all hanging out at the bar. I'm going to be Pope. Oh, congratulations. It's like having a good like, promotion party. Yeah. Um, so he was selected as Pope, and he actually slightly encouraged Galileo to to pursue more work in astronomy and mm. and and to publish it, but just to be objective and not to be this you know really pushing the Copernican stuff. But just yeah, you know, still do your stuff. You're so good at it, but just like keep all the Copernican stuff going. So quote unquote objective, you, you know, like yeah. Eh. So he tr- did that sort of. <laughs> <laughs> and he wrote a book or published a book called Dialogue Concerning the Two Chief World Systems. And this, I love this because it's so relevant today. So it was a, a discussion kind of book with three people. One who supported the Copernicus, you know, heliocentric sun is in the center of the, uni- of the universe, well, you know, solar system. Mm-hmm. Um, one who are, was arguing against it and arguing for the Earth-centric view. And then one who was kind of impartial. So it was just like left, right, and center on NPR. <laughs> um, 400 years ago. Or again, just this idea that like, oh, we have to tell both sides of the story. and uh, like No matter how uh, insane one side right. is. So, so he did that, but in a very strategic way. So that the person who was arguing for the kind of Aristotelian, you know, earth-centric view just came across like a bumbling idiot. <laughs> so, so he, so he was like, okay, I'll play by your rules, but I'm gonna make some of my own rules too. I love this. I love it. it's like so like passive aggressive. Yeah, it, just, it rocks. I love it. So anyway, so he did that, and yeah, the guy who doing the earth-centric stuff sounded terrible and so no one bought it even for a second he was summoned right back to rome and they were like dude we told you not to do this and that was when the big inquisition happened he was there for from september 1632 to july of the following year Hmm. and i mean in the sources i read it was like oh he was treated so well the whole time (laughs) i don't know yeah They say that they threatened him with torture to get him to back down Mm -hmm. and didn't actually do anything, but I don't know. 
what are the chances? I know. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take a step back from that. I don't know. Um, but at any rate, and in any case, he backed off a little bit and said, "Okay, yeah, I was supporting it. You know, okay, fine. Mm. Like I, I know you t- asked me not to and to be impartial, but yeah, I, I definitely was kind of pushing it a little bit. Okay, fine. Uh, so they sentenced him to house arrest for the rest of his life, like Paris Hilton. Yes." <laughs> they I mean, put a little collar on him <laughs> or the little <laughs> ankle bracelet that goes beep um but yeah so he was uh put into house arrest and he was not allowed to have visitors or have any works printed outside of italy but he didn't he did both of those things so mm. again i love that he's like these rules are only rules if i agree with them <laughs> That's how I live my life, too, Galileo. <laughs> rules are only rules if they make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So some of his so some of his books were printed in other places in Europe, and mm. he, he definitely had guests and wrote uh, another book while under house arrest. His last book was called Two New Sciences, which is kind of a summary of his life's work. Mm. Um, but he lived to be pretty old, I would think, for that, for that time. He lived to be 77. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. Because, again... Yeah. Ooh, that Scurvy time in and Europe. Pirates well, and yeah, and people, the plague. And... I mean, I don't know how how clean you know cities in Italy were. I mean, most of Europe, it was like you have a chamber pot and you pour it on the street. Right. Blech. Like right. there's you know there's no plumbing. <laughs> oh, God. It may have been slightly better than you know the Middle Ages, but yeah, it's not not that not that great. Yeah. So. Good, good on you, Galileo, for getting a, getting a good... <laughs> for not dying. Getting a good run. Um, but yeah, so so he died in 1642. And just just for the more perspective, so the church, in terms of how they processed all this heliocentric, son at the center stuff, um, in 1758, so over 100 years later, mm-hmm. like 110 years later, whatever, 116 years later, lifted the ban on most works supporting this Copernican theory, and in 1835 dropped its opposition to heliocentrism altogether. So how progressive of them. I know. It only took them like 200 years. So they dropped their objections in 1835. Yeah. That was not that long ago. It took a while. Yeah. Uh... I mean, let's face it, people are still these days like holding science up to religious texts. But also the flat earth kind of stuff. Yeah. I had no idea until just a few years ago. Again, ignorance is bliss. I really wish I didn't know about these people. (laughs) But there are people, and it's, I don't know, I don't, again, I don't know how many of them there are, but there Mm -hmm. are a surprising number, I will say, that really do think that the earth is flat, that NASA is a part of a massive conspiracy. That, you know, satellites don't go around the Earth. That's not possible. The, all these pictures of the globe are, of, of, you know, of Earth are, mm-hmm. are Photoshop jobs and all this stuff. And, you know, so, of course, yeah. sending spacecraft to other planets is just like just total hogwash. They just think it's all made up. I'm like, I what? I mean, I think it was maybe six or seven years ago or something that I came across something and I forget how, mm-hmm. but I, I heard something about some flat earth or stuff. I was like, yeah, but no one, no one believes the earth is flat anymore. Like we're good there. Right. <laughs> oh, Katie, <laughs> you and your faith in people, what are you doing? And I, I think I just stumbled across a blog of some sort where they were kind of laying out their ideas. I think, I think basically what they say is that 
Earth is a disk mm-hmm. that is just moving upwards, and that's why gravity happens is because we're all like, th- this this dinner plate we're on is yes. just accelerating upwards. Why I don't know. So it must be accelerating then, because if you, I mean, it's like traveling in a car. If you're going sixty miles an hour, you don't feel like you're being pressed against the seat. You only right. feel it when you accelerate faster. Dude, I don't. So at this point. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> well, and I don't know what their yeah. explanation is of the edges. I don't, or like what's on the other side of the saucer. You fall off. I've seen those pictures. But, <laughs> but what? <laughs> then why can we, have they never taken a plane flight around the world? I, they just think everything's flat. <laughs> like, like that was, I mean, when this kind of came up, I don't know, on Twitter, because who was that, that rapper that was yeah, saying stuff? Yeah, I don't stuff? remember. And yeah, I, I'm sorry, you guys. I don't know who is who, but someone <laughs> was saying a bunch of flat earther stuff, and then Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh-huh. because I don't know why. I mean, I guess this person who was saying it has a, a, at least a million followers or something. So Neil deGrasse Tyson was like, actually, it's not how it works, and was trying to kind of engage with him or whatever. Um, but yeah, but I was just like, why do you think that planes take an arced path? If, yeah. you, if you fly from L.A., to Japan, you don't just fly in a straight line to Japan. You you fly by Alaska. You go you go all the way up the coast and come mm-hmm. all the way back down because that's actually the shortest path. And when the moon is the moon, when the Earth is turning, <laughs> when the moon does things, um, I don't know. It was just it it really tripped me out. So lastly, about about our friend Galileo, he was never married. So personal life. Again, not a ton of information. This mm. was quite a while ago. Yeah, there were no tabloids back then. I guess. Um, so he was never married, but he did live with, had like a girlfriend, like a live-in girlfriend who had three kids. I don't know why he never got married. Were they his kids? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I don't, that qualifies as married to me. (laughs) I mean, I, again, I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe she was not of noble birth or something. Mm. I have, I didn't find anything about why why he didn't just marry her but the t- uh, three kids two daughters they just put them in a convent because they're like that's the only thing that you can do <laughs> you're oh not God. legitimate just just be nuns and oh, then uh right. the boy apparently was later legitimized and but i don't know so weird but so oh well girls yeah so that's that's about it i have on his like actual personal life i mean sounds like he was pretty busy but but a very popular popular guy from writing his first books Really started to make a name for himself. Mm-hmm. Again, his dad was a musician. They didn't have a ton of money. So he really kind of hit the ground running. I think yeah. he had kind of knew what he needed to do to make a name for himself and was like, i got to invent something and write a book and I'm just going to do that over and over again. Um, so, so he was pretty successful then. Oh, yeah. So he, And he, yeah, he he did it on, you know, kind of, what would you say? How would you, what would you say? He... He took charge. He kind of grabbed yeah. life by the reins and was like, let's go. He didn't get Self- burned as a witch. Yeah, he was a self-made scientist. Not bad. Yeah. He did yeah, pretty well. Especially for not finishing college. I know. And for, you know, financial financial troubles. I mean. Yeah. Just he, get out there and be somebody, Yeah, kids. there's there's some, you know, he struggled too. But <laughs> so, here, so if you don't do well in college, just like invent something and publish a book and then you're golden yeah, or something. Just reorient the entire universe. Yes. To explain, you know. Change how people see things. Yeah. It's easy. Anyone can do it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, good job, Galileo. That's awesome. Well, I, yeah, I didn't know anything about him up until this point, honestly. I mean, I knew that he, he kind of turned um, the whole perception of the solar system on its ear. 
but it's interesting to know that he got away with it and just was like, well, I'll just leave the country and keep publishing. No, I mean, just, well, he didn't, he didn't leave. He stayed there, but he was just like, dude, whatever. I'm going to keep doing my thing. I just love that he was such a rebel. So when we invite him to brunch, <laughs> I think he'll be a great conversationalist because he um, his lectures were always really packed when mm-hmm. he when he was teaching. Because um, so he probably was really good at being a communicator for what he was doing too. Yeah. Because otherwise, what good is it if no one knows what you're doing? Yeah. So he's kind of the opposite of Mendel. They both did really cool stuff that was a totally new idea. But one person just kind of was really quiet about it, and it sounds like. Galileo really played the marketing game mm-hmm. and, and was like, I'm going to tell everybody what I'm doing. Oh, the church doesn't like it? <laughs> Whatever. So he was good at science communications. <laughs> yes. Which is still debated today whether that's worth the time or not. It totally is. I know. But here's my thing. So, if, but if you don't, if you if it's not your thing and you don't like it, I feel like it should be more acceptable to work with someone who can help you with that. Yes. Because there's, what is Alan Alda's, um, the Center for Communicating Science at yes. Stony Brook? Yep. Okay, I'll make sure. <laughs> Probably should look it up. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, his whole thing is that, and Alan Alda, the actor who's in MASH, and he was on 30 Rock and stuff, you know, he's he's an actor. Everybody, everyone knows Alan Alda. But he his thing, the last, I don't know, 10 or so years, maybe slightly less, has been encouraging scientists and training scientists to be their own communicators so that they don't kind of communicate something that will then be spun the wrong way mm-hmm. in media. Because it is it is a problem. When right. scientists do go out there, they'll often say, oh, A equals A sometimes equals B. And mm-hmm. then the media picks it up and goes, A always equals B. B always equals C. A equals D. Did you guys all know that? <laughs> it's just, it just goes off on these tangents yeah. that they never said. Yeah. And so it can be really frustrating. So it's about communicating more effectively so people are less likely to misunderstand you and then go off in these directions you never wanted mm-hmm. them to go on go into um but but if you're if that's not your thing and you're not comfortable or just or for whatever reason or maybe it's just you know time investment wise you really would rather be in the lab i would hope that we can find a a more established niche for all of the science communicators who are, would be so happy to go in there and and sit with you and say, how about we explain it this way? Do you think that, you know, would that be an accurate way to do this? And here's how I think we could explain it. Because there are people whose whole Ballywick is explaining things. Yeah. So I would like to see that more. And if you explain it well the first time, mm-hmm. that leaves you, that's makes you less susceptible to being misinterpreted by, you know, Absolutely. a reporter who may have, you know, not understood the concept completely or, you know, has an editor who just wants a clickbait title, mm-hmm. which is always a danger. Yeah. So, yeah, it is important. It is important to get the word out because otherwise you end up with people who still believe the earth is flat. I know. I don't know. We failed somehow. I feel like we failed as a society. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how many of them are out there. I'm concerned. I really, really am. Do you think they're listening? I oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. They're so upset. We're going to get hate mail from flat earthers. Oh, my. Oh, my. So what can we learn from Galileo? Yeah. I think what I would learn from him is to not take no for an answer. Because I feel like in general... Just, you know, the financial troubles. He got kicked out of the first university where he worked, you know, and then he started publishing books. The church was like, can you please stop? No. (laughs) No, I can't. Yeah. Oh, you don't want me to teach here? I'm going to go teach somewhere else. No. Like, I I say no to your no. Galileo. That was a direct (laughs) quote.
<laughs> so yeah, in the movie of his life, he's just like <laughs> he's just, no. just saying no. He just wears a T-shirt that says no, Doctor No. <laughs> Well, and I learned that uh, there are still people out there who believe the Earth is flat, and I guess who don't believe anything that they can't see for themselves, which is a little concerning to me. So let's just shoot them all into space. <laughs> I mean, that'll solve problems. multiple problems. <laughs> Actually, like, president, send them up there with the camera. Good <laughs> yeah, we'll send them up there. We'll have them. We'll put them on the ISS when we don't want the ISS anymore, apparently, because they're going to ruin it. Um, but just have them go around the Earth a couple of times and go, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, that's what it'll take. So that's it for this episode of Science Brunch. Next time we'll be talking about Jonas Salk and all the stuff that he did. In the meantime, you can check us out on iTunes, Twitter, Facebook, sciencebrunch.org. If there's a scientist that you want to hear about, let us know. Hashtag sciencebrunch. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.